0: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Welcome back, Specters. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, with my good buddy and co-host, Sam, or N7 Legend, now officially. Welcome back, dude. Okay.
1: That's right. Um, I think I got a couple more weeks uh, before uh, Twitch lets me change it back to N7 Legend. They only let you change your name so often, uh, but mm-hmm. very happy to be here and we got uh, quite the show planned. I'm super psyched for this topic. I don't know about you, Tom. Yeah. I, I certainly am.
0: Yeah. So today we are, we're just getting right into this, man. Today we are talking about the Korians and the Geth War fun times as usual i'm sure this won't be any more depressing or um uh controversial in any way this is going to be just a clear cut all the way across right nothing oh yeah nothing shady going on here um so <laughs> so yeah this yet is another war yet another war uh, another topic so let's let's just kick it off let's get right into it so what is going on with the uh the corians and the geth
1: Uh, Well, the the Koryans created the Geth. I think that's, you know, first of all, that's what people should know. If you're brand new to the series, uh, you might not know either of those names. But the Koryans are a race of intelligent aliens and they create the Geth. So those are a synthetic race. Um, And the first thing that you need to know about the Koryans is that they have always been technologically advanced even compared to the Asari and the Turians, um, although they found the Citadel a little bit later than the Asari
0: did. While we kick this off, I don't know if you could hear it come through the microphone, but it is uh, thundering outside my home. So two things. One, uh, it means it's officially Florida uh, summer here in Florida. Um, Two, actually three things. Two, that that's a wonderful setting for like making this not an ominous topic at all. And three, if the power goes out, I apologize. I'll be back up as soon as possible.
1: <laughs> I will do my best to run the show uh, in your stead. So right. Well,
0: the I um the, it'll it'll kick off the stream too. So, um, but we'll we'll make it work if it if it goes if I go away and I don't respond anytime soon, then we'll just have to make this work another night. But anyway, let's let's move on. So okay, so the Quarians create the Geth. What's going on with that?
1: So the other thing that we need to dive into before discussing why the Khorians created the Geth is mm-hmm. that family is equal to religion for the Geth in term or for the Koreans rather, in terms of cultural importance. And they've actually merged their te- technological prowess with their priorities of family and religion. So they practice ancestor worship and they've they've kind of like combined these two spheres into this type of preservation of ancestors minds that kind of thing Weird. and according to the wiki the koreans used it to i like their their goal was to make sure that they never lost any wisdom of any of the ancestors that they ever had and verbatim the mm-hmm. wiki says this involved taking a personality imprint from the individual and developing it into an interface similar to a VI. The Koreans began experimenting with making these imprints more and more sophisticated, hopefully leading to the wisdom of their ancestors being preserved in an imprint that could be truly intelligent.
0: So I immediately have multiple feelings about this. Uh, first of all, this seems very similar to what happens in Cyberpunk 2077 with the... Uh, the the relic and the ability to it's soul ripping is a, some it's a phrase like that but it's basically taking somebody's personality and their memories and digitizing it um, so this is a concept that floats around in these kinds of circles, not just with video games, but like technology and these kinds of things. Like what if we could actually do that with ourselves? Uh, secondly, the ancestor worship and veneration is actually a very uh, primitive type of worship that many human cultures, I, I would even almost say most, probably if you go back far enough, uh, practiced in some ways. The, the idea that the the belief that your ancestors, after they passed on, would somehow stay with us and were worth venerating, um, makes a lot of sense. So you come to rely on the older people who helped raise you. And so you would want to hold on to that wisdom and those kinds of things. Um, Another thing that I find really interesting about this, though, is that sometimes the information that we have from our ancestors isn't really wisdom in the sense of wisdom. It's just old traditions that work for a time different from our own. Right. So yeah, I can see I, how this I, might cause some problems.
1: I think I'm going to be, this is a hot take and <laughs> this is a bit maybe of an unpopular opinion, but just because they were your ancestor doesn't mean they were a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure right. I have some ancestors in my own bloodline who are i probably better off dead (laughs) for the world.
0: Yeah, in fact, probably all of us do, you know, like uh, there are are people out there. Um, And hopefully we have a way of understanding the difference between those things, you know, like especially in a situation like this. Uh, But at the same time, just because something was at one point considered wisdom doesn't mean it will at all points in time be considered wisdom. So for example, uh, believing in uh, ghosts. Let's just use this as an example. Like maybe it was wise to believe in ghosts before we had the science to explain things that we didn't understand. And then once you develop the science to explain those things, the belief in ghosts should go away because it's not actually true or verifiable. So, therefore, moving on with, you know, reclassifying what used to be wisdom as something else might be beneficial, right? Um,
1: Yeah, the definition of wisdom certainly
0: evolves. Right, right. Uh, But the keeping of that information isn't necessarily wrong or bad. In fact, it's probably good to have all of that information and just update our teaching around it to clarify what things should be considered valuable and what things are, you know, takes from a, a different time. So, anyway a large uh, little rabbit trail here um but let's let's move on with this
1: but yeah the, the, it kind of comes full circle because it's a theme with the Koryans. you know they're afraid of losing the wisdom so they invent a problem or they they invent a solution to solve that problem and the theme is when there's a problem they invent a way to solve it they're very industrious that way as a race Um, Another example of this is the corians have very weak immune systems and that comes from number one their home world's arid climate has a lack of microbes and viruses so that compared to other worlds has produced a weak immune system in the corians and number two. Centuries living aboard sterile ships in the migrant fleet has also resulted in their weak immune systems. And what did the Aquarians do to combat this? Well, they invented state of the art enviro suits and advanced medical technology with, like, you know, crazy vaccinations, antibiotics, preventative stimul- stim injections, you name it, and they have it. And so they rely on their technology heavily when there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And During the course of their race's growth and expansion, they run into a labor shortage, which is actually, you know, a predicted outcome in all developed societies running into a labor shortage because as a society develops, the population growth declines and that's just a natural way of things. Um, So what do the Koreans do? They turn to technology again and eventually they create a race of robotic help called the GEF. And in Korian, geth means servant of the people.
0: Which, uh, again, side trail, like rabbit trail here. Uh, most of humanity, the progress of human beings has been on the backs of people who are uh, typically typically considered the servant or slave class in, in that society. Um, if you look at any well-developed society across the planet, there's always a A group that is considered the aristocracy and at least one other group that is considered the servant class and they are the majority of the people or the slave class and they are the majority of the people. And it's only due to the work of that group that we are able to progress technologically, uh, culturally, because what that does is it creates the time for the aristocracy to do other things like make art, to write, to do science, to do all these other things. So it would make sense in an advanced enough uh, technological civilization with liberal enough politics that raise everyone up above this, this level that you would need something else to do the mundane work that nobody wants to do. So this concept of creating a robotic servant class you know, to automate that makes sense. I mean, it's it's we're kind of moving towards that in some ways, but our society hasn't quite gotten past this idea that like, you know, working at McDonald's for minimum uh, <laughs> for minimum wage isn't a livable thing. You know, like there's a lot of these like political things that that you can talk about around this. But wouldn't it be nice if? Like everything that nobody wanted to do was automated and the rest of us could then focus on higher goals. You know, that seems ideal, but I have a feeling that this doesn't work out exactly how they wanted it to. Right.
1: Yeah. And on that <laughs> note, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> thunder crashes in
0: the it. background. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it never does, um, especially in Mass Effect. <laughs> Welcome to the Milky Way. But, you know, I challenge anyone on that note to say that the ultimate de- uh, goal of human development isn't to work less. That is the ultimate goal, you know, to work less and produce more. That is the right. goal. or or to make um,
0: work more valuable. To make right. to, to work on the things that we truly value rather than the things that are necessary. And I and I think that um and this is a philosophy I've I've kind of been like just kind of side note here, like we're spitball and all sorts of stuff. But what's fun about these topics is that they do relate to philosophy and religion, and these kinds of things. But this is one of those concepts I was actually just thinking about this today or yesterday. This idea that um uh the the problems with so much of society isn't that we um Uh, how do i want to phrase this we are all seeking freedom and we don't generally we don't truly have freedom until we have the ability to choose how we spend our time and it's not that people don't want to work it's that people want their work to be in things that are valuable and have meaning and when we are in a society where we have to focus on work that doesn't have meaning that's when we become depressed that's when we gain hopelessness that's when it's tough to maintain our relationships with each other because we're emotionally stimmied by it um this idea that like if we remove that and everyone can then have the freedom to work on the things that generally have meaning and seek meaning then we might be able to raise society out of that and we will solve things like certain types of you know, issues that otherwise can't be solved. Um, it's just one of those concepts. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this stuff because, again, I'm just spitballing. But it's it is not about leisure. It's not about, you know, I want to spend more time playing a video game because the truth is, if you could choose what you do all day long, at some point you would go, well, I don't need to play any more video games right now. I want to do something with my time that actually has a real, real world real benefit. And I believe that most people would, thunder in the background, move away from that and would start Devoting at least some of their time to actually working on things that make a difference. But anyway, fun th- fun things to think about.
1: I think you might be placing a little bit too much faith in humanity, but that's my own take. <laughs> well, well,
0: here's the other thing: is that I think I think the people who don't move to that point uh, will will <laughs> almost in a um, evolutionary way relegate themselves to this state of of nothing like they, they will they will decline um and uh, <laughs> i don't know i i think that maybe there's i i don't know this is a, another topic we can talk about in, in the future and we can i would love to chat with other people about this uh but the older we'll i get podcast. the more the older i get the more i think that uh once you're past a certain age you start to kind of focus on other things or if you're raised in a certain kind of society that you would you would start to value things differently but anyway Let's move on.
1: <laughs> but about the Geth. Uh, <laughs> but about the Geth. <laughs> so eventually, um, you know, the Corians keep their programming limited to virtual intelligence because the Koreans the themselves are acutely aware uh, that developing AI is against Citadel law. It's illegal and it's illegal for a reason. And they're aware of why, t- why it's taboo. So they keep the programming for the geth limited to VI, but they keep asking them to do increasingly complex tasks and they need to expand upon the programming for the robots to do those tasks. And eventually the geth become too intelligent for the Corian's liking and they start asking questions like, why was I created? Who am I? So they what have is the universe
0: emergence you know? intelligence. So even though they weren't programmed to be AI, the intelligence emerges simply from the complexity.
1: Right, and and I think a part of it is because the, they teach the Geth to teach themselves. Mm-hmm. So those all those are the hallmarks of sentience. Uh, those questions: Why was I created? Who am I? And therefore, personhood. Right, and so the Korean government takes a look around after one. Uh, employer, we'll call him, even though that's definitely not the right word. Um <laughs> sees this and there's fear when he sees it and he reports it and the Korean government realizes this is illegal and they've we know that the Koreans at this point have already met the council because they've lost the embassy there as punishment for creating the geth and the subsequent threat that the geth pose um but upon knowing that they, they true they created true ai uh or what advocates on the citadel call synthetic intelligence because fun fact in the mass effect political sphere the term artificial intelligence is racist and it's offensive because it's saying that that intelligence is less than because it's artificial right because it's not real right um so they create synthetic intelligence and how do the Koreans react? They well, they they act out of shame, and they act out of survival, and they decide that they need to destroy this creation before it destroys them, and before the galaxy can know.
0: Which makes sense. I mean, in some ways, it's they're cleaning up the mess that they created, right? Like it's well, I mean, cover up. I, I mean, it's I mean they're 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 seeking to cover it up, but at the same time, wouldn't wouldn't the council demand that they destroy and remove it anyway?
1: They would, however, I think they were acutely aware of, like, okay, well, they they were thinking if we can me- clean this mess up without anyone knowing and without us requesting help, it might be better for us politically in the long run. Oh, I'm sure. Than, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Than, yeah, yeah. Then admitting to our right. you know, mess on right. the floor.
0: Yeah, but in both cases, the result would be the removal of the Geth, the 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 destruction of a now intelligent synthetic species. Um, yeah. in, in either case, it still it still goes that direction. One, one, they're trying to protect their butts, and the other, they're being open and honest with other people. Um, so uh, clearly, those would result in different things. But ultimately, the geth get destroyed either way.
1: What I'm really curious about, and what there is surprisingly little written in the lore about, is why were those citadel laws in place before this?
0: Yeah, what happened? What happened? What did it, where did they learn that that needed to be a thing? Yeah, that's a good question. You know what else I, I like about this is this idea that... Um, the uh, the awareness came from the complexity of the the programming, um, and through the, just the the way that these things learned as they move forward, and that is actually um, there's there's a philosophy that that is actually why we are intelligent is because the complexity of our ability to process things was a necessary of uh, development through the evolution of our species, and the complexity of our brains wasn't necessarily you know evolution of our species thing and that's what eventually led to self-awareness. So in a way they created a uh, a synthetic uh, stimulus or they've created a synthetic framework that ran into the same uh, complexity that allowed intelligence to occur. I'm wondering if I'm phrasing that correctly but you guys get the idea, right? This idea that
1: replicated the environment in which natural intelligence occurred, I think, right through a synthetic way to say it, yeah, through
0: through synthetic framework, Um, which is interesting because that, by its nature, is actually more. I mean, it's at least it's more similar to biological intelligence. In that way, at least, I have to wonder if that if there are different. Well, and this is another one of those crazy concepts: the idea that like an elephant is self-aware and a human is self-aware. Well, chances are an elephant might be self-aware. They've done a lot of studies on that. They've done studies on like dolphins and other apes and uh, certain types of birds, um, and that their sense of self-awareness. But is there a level to that? Is there is uh, even among different humans, like different people of different. Uh, mental abilities is there more and less self-awareness and does that make some of us more alive than others is that even a thing is it even worth classifying self-awareness as being a thing to uh value over species that don't have it why why necessarily would that i mean both things are living things is just because one's self-aware and one isn't doesn't does that necessarily mean that one should be valued over another? You know, like there's all these different kinds of thoughts around this, but it's it's interesting. Clearly, something that is self-aware is going to have complexity in its thoughts that make it more potentially dangerous than something that isn't, if it's threatened. Yeah, and- so.
1: And I think it's worth noting the timeline of, of when this happened. Um, so this, the the, the Koreans create the Geth around the year 1850, uh, the current era. So right before the United States is embroiled in a civil war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so kinda... I always like putting these things in context. Um, and right. it's also, um, as people in chat had mentioned, it's about 300 years before the events of Mass Effect 1. Right, um, right. And... Koreans also have a very similar lifespan to human beings, except if they are exposed to any type of virus or their suits become breached and they're infected with something. Um, but other than that, they have very similar lifespans. So that being said, it's really not that old of history. By the time you get to Mass Effect 1, this is not ancient history to them. In mm-hmm. fact, it's, it's still pretty raw. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, the, so I I kind of do want to like zoom out a little bit um, before we go any further. And I want to talk about like how the geth themselves represent this theme, which is laden throughout the entire trilogy of mass effect. Um, Andromeda excluded because of reasons, <laughs>
0: uh-huh, right?
1: <laughs> but, um, it's laden throughout the whole trilogy. And it's that the geth themselves represent the theme of synthetic life, versus organic life are they compatible is it copacetic to have them in the same universe together can they coexist uh and can they do so peacefully Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh the geth are the first inkling of that and i I think it's pretty telling for the entire series that they are the first enemies you fight like from the Mm get-go that's that's the geth you you meet them on eden prime Um, and it sets the entire stage for the ending of mass effect three, uh, which we can go into at a different time, but like we've already mentioned, you know, where does one draw the line when defining what life is, is it because this life is made of flesh and this life is made of metal? Um, because if we get into that, then I'm afraid that we're getting into laws of supremacy and god knows how that that ends you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's another theory i read uh not too long ago that uh, the question it all comes from the question of like if there is intelligent life in the universe other than ourselves then why have we not really come across it yet why don't we have clear signs of it um and and the the universe is the age that it is it is very old um And then one of uh, one thinker, I don't remember who the author was, talked about the idea that human life or at least intelligent biological life almost certainly will create intelligent artificial life, that if you take any system long enough, eventually intelligent biological life will basically create the geth. The geth will be an outcropping of uh, our technology. AI will occur. And once AI occurs, there will be an event inevitably where that AI feels threatened by the bio, by its biological creators and wins. And so uh, at any point in the universe where you have intelligent life that gets advanced enough scientifically, eventually that life will, will go away and throughout most of the rest of that existence, it's going to be synthetic life. In whatever form that takes which is amazing to think about because think about how long we as humans have been intelligent life on this planet you know tens of thousands of years a few hundred thousand years we've only really had culture for the last tens of thousands of years like you know actual culture with written down history in you know four hundred or four thousand five thousand years if you consider like ancient Egypt and you know Mesopotamia like, it's, it's a, such a speck of time on the whole list of, of everything. But then you end up with um, us creating an AI that eradicates us and then can live on forever, replicating itself, fixing itself, traveling across space because lengths of time don't really matter to a synthetic being the way that they would matter to biological creatures, you know, it, it becomes a whole other thing. So so it's a crazy, crazy thing to, to, to think about, but inherently that, that means that you would want a system that would downplay the development of that because that would further our own destruction if that's truly the case, which whew, kind of explodes your brain a little bit.
1: I mean, yeah, and clearly I think any a uh, human being would tell you organic life has its limitations, but the really, truly scary thing about AI is it doesn't, it doesn't have its limitations, right. or at least right. we can't fathom its right. limitations.
0: Yeah. Anything um, anything that can work synthetically can be augmented to live forever if, if taken care of or replicate itself indefinitely and spread across the universe. And then the, the question then becomes, okay, well, if that thing's out there, then why haven't we seen it yet? or does it get to the point where it starts to look like things that are naturally out there. <laughs> you know, like, oh, wait a minute. And then that gets really crazy. But anyway, these are these are really fun fun thoughts. Anything else before we move to the middle of the show?
1: Uh that was pretty much it, uh, unless you wanted to do the show us your rider. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that stuff. in the
0: middle. So we've got we've got that and then we've got the we're come after we get back from the middle we'll talk about the Geth wars. Um and we've got some reviews to go over. So why don't we move on? Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. All right. The sound of that. Oh, oh I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh man, that's no good. Um. <laughs> all right, so let's uh let's talk about show us. Oh, you know what? I didn't show the picture. I didn't. I need to show the picture on here. This is a uh, this is a Corian and some Geth. Who is this?
1: yes this is actually tally oh this and is tally okay i wasn't, yeah, this sure. I wasn't tally, sure zora vas normandy uh before that she's vasnima but she's aiming her pistol at some geth i can't remember the exact uh context of this but something's telling me it's taking place on the normandy in mass effect three when the geth appear to offer their help to shepherd
0: ah yeah. So there you go. That's a, that's some geth conflict right there. So we have a new rider this week. Let's check this out. I'm going to put this up on the screen for those of you who are watching during the live show or watching on YouTube later. And, uh, who is this? We've got, well, um, here you can, you can go ahead and talk about it, Sam.
1: Sure. Uh, this is the penguin ninjas rider. So thank you penguin ninja for sending this one in. Her name is Corey rider. She is a recon specialist and the classes work a little bit differently in Andromeda. Um, so if you can see this picture, I'll try to, if you, if you can't rather see this picture, I'll try to describe it to you. But if you can, you can see that it's more customizable. It's not dead set in stone. The classes that the the way they work. So this is a recon specialist with some biotic abilities, namely singularity and pull, uh, her background is, well, she's a pathfinder <laughs> because all of the characters in Andromeda, uh, all the player characters are pathfinders. So they're kind of set with their background in that context. Um, but the psych profile for all of the writers is put together by Dr. Lexi Tapero into a document in the codex, which it's pretty cool because the way that it works is it takes your decisions and your dialogue options and, And it combines them and basically formulates this type of profile for how you respond to things. And uh, Corey Ryder's profile says, quote, you exhibit heart and empathy in many situations. However, all this is completely in line with your tendency to act impulsively. I think that reads a little bit like a horoscope. Uh, sure.
0: it's <laughs> You're a little bit of everything. Congratulations. Um, exactly. Okay. And Thank everyone's you.
1: like, oh, my gosh, that's
0: so me. That's so me. Uh, that's exactly right. I am stubborn <laughs> when I don't want to do things, but flexible when I do.
1: I do get irritable <laughs> when angry.
0: <laughs> when I'm hungry, I'm kind of grumpy. Huh. <laughs> like, no, everybody's yeah. kind of grumpy when they're hungry. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, cool, cool, cool. But
1: some of the some of the key decisions uh, that Cory Ryder made were: she attempted peaceful first contact with the Ket. She chose peaceful scientific exploration of the Helios Cluster, and she made peaceful contact with the Angara. She chose to save the Salarian Pathfinder on the Archon's ship, leaving behind the Krogans, and she successfully defeated the Archon and took control of Meridian. The Hyperion landed safely and is now being rebuilt as Port Meridian. Cool. So, thank you, Penguin Ninja, for sending in your rider, Corey Rider. And I hope uh, all of you feel the inspiration to go ahead and send us your shepherds before the Legendary Edition drops in, what is that, like three weeks?
0: Yeah, it's coming up very, very soon. Um, yeah, the uh,
1: 14th? Is that th- uh, four weeks? Yeah, uh, well, something yeah, like that.
0: four weeks. Um, Yeah, very soon. And thank you, Penguin Ninja. Uh, I hope you have an avatar somewhere, because I would love to see a Penguin Ninja. Um, If you do, send me a picture of that as well. So we also got some new reviews in this last week. If you want to help us out, if you we're not, we don't have a Patreon up or anything like that yet. We might do something like that in the future. But for right now, we're just asking you to do some things that don't cost you any money to help us out with the show. And one of those things is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you happen to have an iTunes account. You can do that even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts. And uh, tell your friends. If you have friends who are into Mass Effect and want to listen to a podcast about the lore because they're getting back into the game, then please share us with them. But we've got two new reviews. The first one is from Dan Shargle in the United States, who writes Loving it, which that's like McDonald's, right? Is that a thing? And the Twitch all of a sudden shuts down the stream. You can't use that. Um, it says here, I haven't played. Mass Effect in years, but I'm looking forward to the remaster in May and the new one later this year There's I don't know that the new ones coming out later this year, but that would be amazing. Maybe, you know something we don't Um, So I was happy to stumble upon this new pod recently Love hearing the background on the different races and characters and the hosts do a good job of keeping it interesting without going all-out Nerd on the lore. Hey, we're not total nerds. That's great Thanks, Dan Appreciate that, dude. And then we also have um, one from Drew Wassian, maybe is how you pronounce the name from the US, who writes, love it. Not just loving it, love it. Five stars. I love everything about this podcast. I'm currently on my sixth playthrough of the Mass Effect series. Six. That's pretty intense. I'm learning more um in in depth about the lore. I'm le- I'm sorry, I'm leaning more into in depth into the lore. I don't know the right way, way to Phrase that. I love that you and Kung Fu Kangaroo really had different perspectives on things and mainly y'all's opinions and backgrounds that really blend in well with the podcast. I definitely found the podcast by mistake while I was looking for a Mass Effect podcast and stumbled, uh, y'all, and it was totally worth it. Keep up the good work. I'm a huge fan of Mass Effect. Even got some of Jack's tattoos on me. (laughs) Ha ha. Thanks. Oh, man, that's cool. You should send us some pictures of those. Damn,
1: That's super cool.
0: Yeah. Which which tattoos did you <laughs> I'd love get to see that you get like a like a sleeve or something? Yeah, we should, we should take a look. Um, so thank you to both of you guys, Dan and Drew. We really do appreciate it. All right. Let's move on with the rest of the show. Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. Yeah, so um no mercy in chat says so not this year lol. Yeah, we might get like a Dragon Age sooner than the next Mass Effect, which might be this year or next year. But yeah, probably we're probably still a ways out from the next Mass Effect game unfortunately. Um, but we'll keep you posted if we get if we if we find any news about this or any leaks come out, you will hear it here first for sure. We'll let you know. All right. So- I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch
0: two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So now we're on to the Geth War. What's going on with that? So
1: the Geth aren't dumb. (laughs) They're not dumb. They know what's going on. Uh, The Korean government enacts martial law across the entire planet of Rannoch and the government orders that all geth are terminated but this is not a you know static decree not all of the koreans are monolithic not all of them agree some of the koreans in fact sympathize with the geth and they try to defend them or hide them because all of a sudden this becomes a very holocaust like situation if you view the geth as legitimate life Right. So if you view the geth as legitimate life, all of a sudden, now you have this oppressive government kicking in doors saying, give me your geth. And then like, you know, if you don't, well, you're going to be arrested or killed. And that is indeed what happens. Um, The Koreans who don't uh, agree to turn in the geth or kill them themselves and the court, the Koreans who harbor the fugitives, they are arrested, imprisoned or killed.
0: And um, It's such a tough question. And that's what's so great about these. You know, like, one, is it legitimate life? Two, is it dangerous? Is it inherently dangerous? Is synthetic life inherently dangerous and it will eventually wipe us out? If the answer to that is yes, then it's probably the right thing to do to get rid of them, right? If it,
1: it might be if, the
0: logical it, thing. It's the logic. Well, um, if it's 100%, like, okay, think of it this way. If it's 100%, if there's a 100% chance that every single time any race in the universe creates intelligent, synthetic life, that that will rebel and destroy its creator, wouldn't it be, like, wouldn't it be in the, like, we, we defend ourselves against uh, other humans, like, if I was to give an opposing army the information that they need to kill us and there's a 100% chance that they're going to come kill us, then it's it's our moral job to fight back against that in order to make sure that we survive. And that's humans. Now, it may not be our moral objective to destroy all other humans, but at least we need to put in we need to do something to keep us ourselves from being obliterated. Right. Isn't that just part of survival?
1: Yeah, but I think that depends on a very key supposition, which was the first part of what you said. If if that is how it turns out to be 100 percent of the time. And because we're organic, because we're fallible, we can't possibly say that that is how it turns out 100 percent of the time.
0: Right. Right. So, of course, yeah, coexistence would be would be the better solution. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky situation.
1: Perhaps it turns out that way because we think that way. Right, right. It's a self-fulfilling it a self?
0: prophecy. So every biological uh, race thinks that there's the potential for them to rebel and kill us because they're afraid of it and therefore act aggressively, which spawns uh, the outcome that you end up going to war with them and then they win. <laughs> you know, like that could be a thing, too. But um, yeah. So, OK, so what happens next?
1: So... The, uh, because the geth are capable of teaching themselves and they learn exponentially faster than organic life, they realized what's going on. And some of the units armed themselves to defend the sympathetic Corians and some defended other geth. Um, so now you have like, you know, just a week or two ago, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not sure if that's the actual timeline, but very, very short time ago, the Corian or the geth start asking questions that are hallmarks of sentience and now they're laying down their life for sympathetic Koryans. they're they're sacrificing their own life for other geth Mm -hmm. um and i would expect them to do it for Koryans because it might be in their programming to to defend their masters so to speak but to do it for other geth implies that they value that other geth as a life
0: form Right, right, and and it also raises the question: um, Are they doing it out of sympathy? Are they doing it out of programming? Are they doing it because it's logically a good idea? Because it will make people think that they are sim- sympathetic, that they have emotion, that they care. You know, like what's the difference between like what's the difference between a psychopath who acts like they care and a person who actually cares? From the outside, it's very hard to tell
1: yeah that's i mean that's true and i think at this point because they're definitely an ai everyone that's in a power position such as the Korean government sees it as black and white they see it as we need to take care of this threat and we need to do it expeditiously because if we don't um it's gonna get worse and funny that they would try to eliminate the geth altogether very fast because by nineteen or by 1895, the Geth sympathizers become so outnumbered that it becomes an all-out war, but a very fast one. Because by 1896, the very next year, the Geth have conquered Rannoch and the Corian colonies, and in turn, they have committed counter genocide.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, all of this stuff is tough. You know, what do you do when? When something is trying to wipe you out, you know. At what point is it no longer defense, and it's offense? You know.
1: Well, maybe they could have uh, slaughtered a few less Koreans because they slaughtered all the Koren billions of Koreans, and they stopped at a few million, which was apparently constitutes constitutes less than one percent of the pre-war Korean population. Yeah, that's so. Less than one percent of that population (laughs) survived this war. Right. That's how many Koreans right.
0: died. That sounds like genocide. That doesn't sound like that's genocide. A, a defense. That sounds like uh, we have to destroy them, um, which seems in line with the same kind of reasoning that I was playing with earlier of, well, now, I mean, the geth, if they know the Koreans have said, we will destroy all of you have a hundred percent It's no longer an if they know that this it is mandated by this other race that they be destroyed, that genocide happened to them. So are they justified in committing genocide against their aggressors, knowing that their aggressors will never quit until they are completely destroyed?
1: Maybe, but they could never take the moral high ground. They, they never could. Right. Even right. afterward. they right. could never say, well, you know, we were right in
0: doing it. But was, were or they you? necessary in doing it?
1: Well, the interesting thing is that I think the Geth are aware of these mor- moral complications and these conundrums from, okay, well, if we eliminated all of the Koreans, we wouldn't have the moral justification to say what they were doing was wrong. Right. So, they so we at don't. least have
0: to leave some.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the crazy part. So they leave some and those survivors board starships and those starships eventually travel to the Citadel and they appeal to the council for help. The Council denies the help. They strip the Corians of their embassy for violating Council law on the creation of AI. Mm-hmm. And the Geth could have pursued these survivors. They could have wiped all the Corians out, but they didn't. And later during Legion's ma- mission in Mass Effect 3, it's revealed to the player that the sacrifice of those Corians who had opposed martial law and the termination order were archived and honored by the Geth, even if the Corians themselves had basically forgotten about them hmm. because you it's a shame on it's a stain on your reputation if you're a Korian. if you had a family member that was a sympathizer for the geth that tried to hide the geth and and you know protect them that's a really huge stain on your reputation so the Koreans try to bury that uh but the geth honor it in the archives
0: yeah interesting okay
1: and it's just uh kind of crazy because you don't know whether the geth are predicting uh political ramifications or you don't know if they they genuinely feel those morals that say okay annihilating an entire race is wrong and we can't be as bad as they are
0: right right or maybe maybe they calculated that they needed to Um, I mean, there's the third option here, and and I'm I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate in order to get the conversation going. But what if you if you know 100 percent that the Koreans are coming to destroy you and your people? And so therefore you ask the question of, well, can we 100 percent destroy them in order to remove that threat? There may be the third option of what will it take to disarm them? And maybe that becomes a calculation of, well, not genocide, but what if we kill X percentage of them in order to disarm their ability to ever stand up to us again. And that could be calculated. That could be a number. You know, if we take them down to one percentage of their population, then they're never going to have the population to then stand up against us again. And we are now safe. Um, But like you're saying, maybe maybe there's other calculations involved. They're, They're highly intelligent. They learn faster than these other biological races. Maybe there's a thought about how other people will perceive it maybe they're maybe they're combing the archives of history in order to see what things happen and how they play out and they're playing dice with an option that they think is going to be the most likely one to fall on their favor
1: if we wanted to be able to point to one side and say this side is the right side this side is the victim you know this side acted justly and rightly then I think all of that depends on the attempts at diplomacy during the Geth war. How often did the geth reach out to the Corians and say, okay, look, you know, we're kicking your ass left and right. Right. But you need to stop because otherwise we're just going to annihilate you, but please stop. We don't want to do that. So how many times did they say that?
0: What is that? Do we know?
1: There's nothing written about it. Yeah. And, you know, even if they did that, would the court would it fall on deaf ears? Would the Koreans say, "I'm not going to take an ultimatum from the thing I just created"?
0: Right, right, yeah. How many times in in literature or in movies do you have like the proud people standing and saying, "We'll never submit to you, ha ha ha! We'll fight to the end," and it's like we don't want to have to destroy you, but we're going to keep fighting until none of us are left alive. Well, if that's what you want, that's not what we want, but. If you keep coming, we're going to keep defending ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah, it, there's a lot of gray in this. It's a really, really cool concept because there is a lot of gray.
1: I'm interested as to why. So at the, the Geth allow the Corians to escape. And then after that, instead of pursuing total annihilation, the Geth actually stay isolated in the Perseus Vale, which is the nebula where Rannoch is. Uh, and they stay Isolated to the to the extent that they they attack or destroy any attempt at contact from organic life outside the Perseus Vale.
0: Mm-hmm. Why? Um, Maybe because they they realize that they can't trust organic life.
1: Is it a self preservation tactic or? i wonder if it's to retain some type of moral high ground like hey we felt so bad about almost annihilating an entire species that we realized we couldn't be trusted around that species right so we just right
0: yeah we we, we, we are, are so powerful ourselves. that and we are we are a moral race and so we don't want to end up in a situation where we have to do this again
1: exactly so is that yeah. what they were doing um Regardless, the council sends a fleet to the edge of the Veil to prepare just in case the Geth launch an invasion. Um, they keep the fleet there for, as far as I know, you know, n- until Mass Effect 3. Um, when it looks like the Reapers are sending out code to the Geth to get them to attack. But I think it's kind of telling that without the Reaper's influence... In mass effect one and and mass effect three without the mass without the reapers indoctrinating influence the geth don't attack organics after that mm-hmm. they don't
0: yeah um, yeah left to their own they're peaceful
1: yeah and no one really knows what they're doing or what they're waiting for um but they swarm the entire planet planet of Rannoch. And they keep it covered in so many space stations that when you look at it with thermal imaging, you can't actually see the planet. It's all <laughs> space stations and GEF.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's cool.
1: So, yeah, that could also be a, an Intel tactic. But basically, this, this leaves us with a legacy. Um, and this is becoming a common theme. I like doing the legacy at the very end because it kind of leaves you with okay, what's the context of the situation that I'm walking into in mass effect one. And the situation that you're walking into is now there is a, there was a preconceived fear of synthetic life before this. And now there's a galaxy wide, like, like paranoia about synthetic life and AI. But now there's also a condemnation of the Corians for unleashing it upon the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Korians have to rework their entire socio-political economic structure. Their entire civilization has to get completely reworked because now they operate out of a migrant fleet of ships and that government that runs that migrant fleet of ships. I'm not sure what the government of Rannoch was like. Not, I don't know if it was democratic or whatnot. It didn't seem to be, but, the, 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 but what we do know is that the government of the migrant fleet most closely resembles a military tribunal where the largest ships captains run the entire government and the corins become nomadic and it's nomadic to the point that they strip mine planets as they pass by so that's how much fuel and resources the entire fleet needs and they institute a one-child policy to make sure they're never consuming more than they're bringing in wow
0: Wow. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Uh, A race that's totally required or totally dependent on technology that cannot survive outside of their technological boundaries would require a lot of resources.
1: And there's also no criminal justice system in the migrant fleet. I looked that up as well because I was curious about it. And apparently uh, the criminal justice system is if you've committed a crime that's bad enough, when they pass by the next planet they're dropping you off and that's it
0: that's it that's it get off the boat see (laughs) you
1: because they literally can't be bothered with spending more resources to punish this person um but they don't like as far as i know they don't jettison them out airlocks or anything like that (laughs) i mean maybe they do for like a serial killer i'm not sure but um (laughs) they also uh become so this this like This vulnerability and this skill set, it leads Koreans to being viewed as second-class vagrants. And because of their skill set, which includes, you know, being amazing uh, technological repair experts, especially with ship repair, from having lived on the micro
0: fleet.
1: Because of that, they end up becoming exploited laborers. Mm. Which, if you can't find the poetic justice there, the irony that they just hundreds of years ago tried they created a a artificial intelligence and then they tried to keep that artificial intelligence enslaved and exploit labor from them and now the koreans are exploited laborers and they're viewed as vagrants and second-class
0: citizens yeah they've become the very thing that they were trying to replace uh, with things around comes around. yeah yeah it's uh, there's kind of a gypsy kind of thing going on with the whole nomad being specialized in very specific things kind of thing too um you can kind of make a, a connection there um and you know kind of universally being maybe mistrusted or hated in certain types of areas um yeah interesting stuff um well, very, very cool. I We've brought up a lot of different topics, a lot of different concepts in this, as will happen regularly on this show. But we'd love to hear your thoughts on these things. Um, I don't know. There's, not, there's never an easy answer. It's not like there's a clear, well, this is obviously the thing they should have done. Because there's always a what if. There's always a, you know, like... Uh, there are always more things than you don't know than you do know. It's the Einsteinian bubble, right? Everything. If you know everything inside the bubble, then the actual surface area of the bubble is bigger than the than the bubble. Um, and as the bubble gets bigger, the surface area grows exponentially. And there's just so much more that we don't know. Like, can you trust a synthetic AI? Is it going to be moral? Does it even have an understanding of what morality is, you know? Uh, and. and even among human beings, we, we can't agree on what things are moral and what things aren't or where morality comes from. Some people think you're only moral if you're uh, religious or if you're of a specific religion or if you're not religious, you know, like some people think you're moral simply because you're a human being. And so you have an, a basic drive towards it, but it depends on nurture. It depends on how you were raised. You know, there's 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 so many variables. So wait, I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of this stuff. Um, Feel free to send us a tweet or jump on the Robots Radio Discord. There's a channel. There's lots of chat already going on in there, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Any last thoughts, Sam? Sam? um
1: don't try to create ai i guess uh just i I just don't mess with it i mean you know here's another law lesson from legend uh for council law there's a reason why most of these uh regulations exist (laughs) so just don't mess with them um unless you feel like creating an epic trilogy (laughs) <laughs> that might not end too well i'm not sure but uh, now nah, those are pretty much my thoughts yeah
0: right are there any stories with ai where things turn out good <laughs> i don't know
1: that if you chose the green ending i think <laughs> in aspect three maybe that's maybe that's that's yeah. that's the way that it ends well i'm not sure but
0: yeah been yeah, thinking I about think, other books you know, and movies and things usually if it's a story about ai it's a story about the um it's a warning about the creation of it and the exploitation of it or the dangers of it yeah alexa yeah alexa's not really not really an ai uh there's no there's no real thinking going on there yet um that's, as far a, as that's a funny know. joke as far as we know who knows who knows oh man yeah so lots of deep stuff so um would love to hear your thoughts on this stuff um well let's wrap it up sam are you doing anything else cool anything else you want to share? yeah i'm
1: gonna be streaming this week uh mass effect one uh still with commander k Shepard. we're getting so close to the point where a i have to move and b after my move mass effect legendary edition is coming out and we're getting so close to it that and i've seen so many cool things from it that i kind of want to just pause and mm. pick it up mm-hmm. with legendary edition yeah just because it looks so good like that's I don't what know this guy's, guy's doing yet. yeah I don't don't know if you guys have seen any of the videos or the video comparisons or the the articles on it, but man, Legendary looks amazing.
0: Yeah, there was one where they just listed all the different uh, effects that weren't in the original series that are now in the original series. You know, things like subsurface scattering of light, light on skin, or um, it's not just like, oh, higher res textures and better light. It's like all sorts of stuff. Um, and some of those scenes are just beautiful. Some of the planets and not just the characters. I mean, the characters faces and things are better, but you look at some of the scenery and, you know, the specular lighting and the, the density like of like, you know, stuff in the air and the way that the texture works with it and the colors and it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um Let's see, I've got I've got all my regular stuff going on. Uh, you know what? One thing that's kind of fun to talk about before we before we go, I uh, started I've been looking for a new TV show to jump into, and I started the Expanse. Have you watched The Expanse, Sam? I
1: have not. It's I've on heard of it.
0: Amazon. Yeah. This I guess it's in the fifth season now, so I'm a little bit late getting into it. What a freaking cool show. So the Expanse is uh, in the near future where earth has settled on Mars and is in the process of terraforming forming Mars and There are people on Ceres, which is one of the uh, space stations located in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter and They're mining the belt for water and resources and things and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on But it is it's not like Star Trek. It's more like um Uh, What's the the show with the Cylons? Uh, Battlestar. It's more like Battlestar Galactica in that, like, there's very real situations going on with uh, politics, but then also, like, the having to be in space and what happens if your ship is, you know, runs out of power or how you're able to patch a hole in the wall, you know, by a, you know, a a railgun that runs through their ship and how the air gets sucked out or, like, you know, like, Cool stuff. It's 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 like watch the first few episodes. It's uh, a smart enough show that it doesn't tell you everything. It lets you try to put put together even like uh, acronyms for stuff. It doesn't you know somebody doesn't say oh that's the interplanetary space station blah 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 and somebody else goes oh you mean the I whatever, you know, in order for you to be like, oh, okay, every, every time I hear IS whatever, it means yeah, this. Yeah, I hate
1: it when right? they break the fourth wall with a right. writing like that.
0: Right. There's yeah. none of that. So, it's it's a lot of like, okay, who is this character? Are Is there a relation between them and anyone else that I should know about? Is there, like, who is this? What is this faction? How does this actually work? You're piecing all of it together, so you have to pay attention. Um, So, it's good. But it's, speaking of space stuff, it's getting me, like, very much in the whole, like, want to go back into space, like, boy, I want to play some Mass Effect. I wish uh, Starfield might be coming out later this year. That's going to be freaking awesome. Um, you know, like Star Citizen, I wish that was further along in development, because that'd be really cool to do, too. You know, like, oh, uh, I can't, I don't want more space stuff. So if you're looking for more space stuff, go check out The Expanse. It's on Amazon. Um, all right. But that's it. Uh, Other than that, I've got my regular streams throughout the week, usually in the afternoons, like 3.30 or in the evenings, and I don't have a regular schedule. But if you want to hang out with me, just make sure you follow the channel, maybe turn on notifications, because if I do stream to play games, other than you know, doing podcasts and stuff, it'll be at one of those times, usually during the weekdays. And we've also got the Robots Radio Rocket Club, and we're now up to 11 members. These are shows that I'm working with to help them launch successful podcasts. So if you're interested in that, check out uh, robotsradio.net slash rocket-club. Always happy to bring on more people, some really creative people, and we all get together and talk every week. So you get to meet the other creators, learn from them as well. A lot of cool stuff going on, so go check that out.
1: Oh yeah, and um, next week, next week I, f- I forgot to bring up what we're going to be covering next week. Yeah, so we're going to start a brand new set of episodes detailing the various intelligent races of Mass Effect. So it's kind of it's going to be like a series of profile features, and we're going to begin with the Protheans.
0: So, Protheans, can we do yep. unintelligent races of Mass Effect too?
1: Absolutely. Can we do? I don't like- know which one the Yog would fall into,
0: but. <laughs> Can we, can, we do, can we do like? Which one do the humans fall into? I don't know. Can we do like types of rocks? <laughs> like on this planet, they have this type of rock, <laughs> which is not found on any other planet in the galaxy. No, um, I don't know that that would be. I don't think there's enough information about that kind of thing. But I could be surprised. There might be for some of it. Uh,
1: <laughs> Top ten subterranean levels of
0: Sub-10 mass. Effect, subterranean levels. Yeah. Um, number of star systems with more than one sun. <laughs>
1: Why the Varen would totally make a great house pet, and you should definitely let me
0: get it, babe. <laughs> Is it? Wait, they sell those. Yeah. We can get those. Where, where do you find those? No, but- That'd be awesome. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, our live chat friends, for being here. You guys are awesome. Uh, yes, no mercy. The Protheans uh, are. Yes. We'll just if you're if you're not here, you're missing out on that comment. Uh, well, we'll <laughs> see you guys next week. Until then, stay safe. Talk to you later. Bye.